We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And away we go. Episode 110 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, July 28, 2021. It is hard to remember a time in which so much was going on for all four of the big four in D.C. sports at the same time. The Washington football team, the Nationals, the Capitals, and the Wizards. The Washington football team has begun training camp while getting two major contract extensions done, but also with Ron Rivera sounding off on his frustration with his team for its lack of player vaccinations for COVID-19. All indications are that the Nationals are preparing to sell and sell hard come Friday's MLB trade deadline, although now one of the potential trade chips, Trey Turner, has COVID-19 and We got horrendous news on Steven Strasburg on Tuesday. He's undergoing surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome on Wednesday. What could be career-altering, maybe ultimately career-ending surgery. The Caps, they have re-signed the greatest player in franchise history, Alex Ovechkin, as NHL free agency begins on Wednesday at noon. And we were still awaiting word from Bradley Beal 
on whether he wanted to be traded from the Wizards as we approach Thursday night's NBA draft. There's a lot going on, people. This is why I do this show every weekday, Monday through Friday, out by 5 a.m. each weekday, because the news does not stop. And sometimes, like right now, the news rises to a uh, tidal wave-like level. But good to have you with us. All you need know from Tuesday's day one of Washington football team training camp is coming up, including my thoughts on Washington's contract extension with Logan Thomas and my reaction to what Ron Rivera had to say at his first press conference of 2021 training camp. Yes, Don Ron was back at the podium as training camp has begun. Ron did address the quarterback competition, but he mostly got asked about Washington's low COVID-19 vaccination rate for players. And Ron did not hold back on how he feels. Everything you need here from Ron, you will hear on this show. Always know this podcast covers the Washington football team like no other show or podcast. Next segment, we'll get into the expected but big and important news from the Capitals on Tuesday. The re-signing of Alex Ovechkin. The grade eight got his big five-year contract. Good for him. I will talk Nationals and the awful development for Steven Strasburg, a situation that already was bad, now much worse. His career may never be the same again. I'm not trying to be dramatic in saying that. I'm just telling you the truth. Thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS, a doomsday scenario for pitchers. We also have more on the Nats potentially unloading come the MLB trade deadline on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And oh yeah, there was a game on Tuesday night. The Nets snapped their five-game losing streak, a 6-4 win at the Philadelphia Phillies. Brad Hand, a scoreless bottom of the ninth of back-to-back blown saves. And I will talk some Orioles, a 7-3 loss for them to the Miami Marlins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night. Are we seeing the end for Trey Mancini with the O's with the MLB trade deadline coming up on Friday. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the podcast, if you are looking to grow your business or practice, if you are looking to reach thousands of listeners, each show in a medium far more intimate than radio and television and far less costly than radio and television, send us an email, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike P on the Washington football team's contract extensions with Jonathan Allen and Logan Thomas over the last few days. Writes Mike, my thoughts on the contract signed by Allen and Thomas. If you produce, if you fit Ron's culture, if you're mature, if you're disciplined, if you're not a health risk, you will be rewarded. Ron wants a winning and respected culture with his handpicked guys who he wants here for seasons to come. It also shows that players want to be here and play for him. That shows a lot while in the middle of changing a culture. They believe in Ron, and Ron believes in them, and if you just follow his lead and work your tail off to compete and be the best athlete you can, he will take you with him. Uh, Agreed. I mean, this isn't complicated. If you are productive, durable, reliable, accountable, you fit the new culture. If you don't check those boxes, or at least check enough of those boxes, because not everyone is going to be durable, then you don't fit the new culture. Jonathan Allen and Logan Thomas check those boxes. Now, with Logan Thomas, he has only had one good season, so his extension involves a faith that what we saw from last season is indicative of what we will be seeing from him moving forward. But A, I don't think expecting Logan Thomas to continue to be a productive tight end is unreasonable. And B, his contract extension as such 
that it's really not that big of a deal. Tight end money in general isn't that much. I mean, understand Thomas's extension works out to an $8 million average annual value, an $8 million AAV. Jonathan Allen's extension works out to an $18 million AAV. $18 million per year versus $8 million per year. There's a difference between these two extensions, and there should be, but both guys were worthy of being extended. Uh, these were the two guys who, after Brandon Sheriff, came up the most this offseason regarding Washington football team players potentially being signed to contract extensions, and Washington got deals done with Allen and Thomas. That's a good job by Ron Rivera, Rob Rogers, Martin Mayhew, maybe Marty Herney if he had anything to do with these deals. Speaking of deals, nobody better when it comes to making a deal to sell your home than John Grandlin of Real Broker. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, contact my guy, John Grandlin, aka John G. And whereas Ron Rivera has position flex, John Grandlin has commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron. You have position flex. John Granlin has commission flex. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. Let John Granlin put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from, including selling your home for free. Yes, zero commission for free. Some conditions do apply. But this is commission flex. You choose the commission. Interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there's never any obligation to list or sell. Do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. He will sell your home guaranteed. That's right, guaranteed. John Grandlin guarantees the sale of your home. The phone number, 703-537-6747. Again, if you need to sell your home, want to sell your home, even are just thinking about selling your home, contact John Grandlin, tell him Al Galdi sent you, and see what John G. can do for you. That phone number again, 703 703- 537-6747 or visit John G sells for free.com. That's John G sells for free.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And when you talk to him, make sure you ask him about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron. Just like Position Flex. All right. Everything you need to know about day one of Washington football team training camp coming up next segment. But on this segment, we're actually going to talk capitals. NHL free agency begins on Wednesday at noon Eastern. And the biggest piece of business that the Caps needed to take care of has been taken care of. The Caps have re-signed Alex Ovechkin, the greatest player in Caps history, maybe the greatest goal scorer in NHL history, maybe the best athlete in D.C. sports history. The man who gave us the battle cry for the Cap Stanley Cup winning season of 2017-2018. We not going to be suck this year. We're not going to be uh, suck this year. 
Yeah, that's one of the greatest things ever said in Washington, D.C. sports. We're not going to be sucked this year. That was Ovechkin on the first day of training camp for the 2017-2018 season. And then this was Ovechkin at the Cap Stanley Cup winning celebration in downtown D.C. after the parade. We're not going to be sucked this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions! Yeah, unforgettable. Alex Ovechkin is an all-timer. He was set to be an unrestricted free agent. The Caps resigning Ovi was always considered an inevitability. Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan on Saturday in a post-NHL draft press conference said that the hope was to finish a contract extension with Ovechkin prior to the start of free agency. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Now, this is not some ceremonial, token, inexpensive contract extension that Ovechkin got, he got paid. Uh, The Russian machine got paid five-year, $47.5 million contract. That works out to an average annual value, an AAV of $9.5 million, which is a top 20 AAV in the NHL. This coming season will be Ovechkin's age 36 season. The contract will take Ovi through the 2025-2026 season, what will be his age 40 season. Obviously, this is not something that you normally do. Give a five-year contract with an AAV of $9.5 million to a guy going into his age 36 season, especially if you're a team like the Caps that is up against it when it comes to the salary cap. But this obviously isn't a normal situation. Alex Ovechkin is, again, the greatest player in Caps history, maybe the greatest goal scorer in NHL history, and maybe the best athlete in D.C. sports history. I mean, the only other guy who you could argue deserves that title is Walter Johnson, the former Washington Senators pitcher who is maybe the greatest pitcher in baseball history. The Caps in January 2008 signed Ovechkin to a 13-year, $124 million dollar contract extension. That was the first $100 million deal in NHL history. That contract, at which more than a few people raised their eyebrows, ended up being a great deal, so much so that Ovechkin gets a five-year deal after the 13-year contract, and nobody is raising any eyebrows at the five-year contract. In terms of Ovechkin this past season, so he can still play. Uh, Ovechkin did have a disjointed 2020-2021 regular season, but he also ultimately had a productive 2020-2021 regular season. Now, he missed 11 games last regular season. He missed four games in January due to COVID-19 protocols and then missed seven games in an eight-game stretch late in the regular season due to a lower body injury, which Ovechkin on May 25th in the final widespread media availability for Caps players this past season said was a leg injury. Ovi that day also said that he dealt with a back issue during the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. So Ovechkin in the 2020-2021 regular season played in 45 of the Caps' 56 games, but still led the Caps with 24 goals, including a team-best 15 even strength goals. And he finished number five on the Caps with 98 hits. Now, also for Ovechkin this past regular season was him having, per NHL.com, the third worst five-on-five shot attempt percentage among qualified Caps at 48.05. So this isn't peak Ovechkin, but this still is a plenty productive Ovechkin. Also, Ovechkin was good in the Caps' five-game first-round series loss to the Boston Bruins in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. Ovechkin, over the five games, had two goals and two assists, led the Caps 
with 20 shots on goal, led the Caps with 25 hits, and was number five on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage per NHL.com at 54.7. With the money that the Caps have committed to Ovechkin via this new contract, again, a five-year, $47.5 million deal, I do think it's worth noting this. The Caps may well recoup a lot of that money just from Ovechkin chasing history, just from Ovechkin chasing Wayne Gretzky's record for career regular season goals. Ovechkin is number six on the NHL's all-time list for regular season goals at 730. Wayne Gretzky is number one at 894. It remains very plausible that Ovechkin gets the record. Although understand this, in some ways, Ovechkin already is a better goal scorer than Gretzky. In fact, in my opinion, Ovechkin has already proven himself to be a better goal scorer than Gretzky was. Wayne Gretzky thrived in the 1980s when goals were scored like crazy. The style of NHL hockey was such that offense was big. Goaltenders were equipment that made them look like skinny minis compared to the goaltenders of today. How about this? The first NHL season was the 1917-1918 season. For hockey reference, the 10 seasons in the 1980s account for 10 of the 18 highest regular season league goals against averages in NHL history. So you take the league goals against average for every regular season in NHL history. 10 of the top 18 are seasons from the 1980s. That's what the 1980s were all about. And so Hockey Reference has a stat called adjusted goals, which is a metric that is what it sounds like, an adjusted goals total based on offensive environment in each season and other factors. Ovechkin already has surpassed Gretzky in career regular season adjusted goals. Ovechkin is number three on the NHL's all-time list for regular season adjusted goals per hockey reference at 835. Wayne Gretzky is number four at 758. Yes, Ovechkin 835 career regular season adjusted goals per hockey reference. Gretzky, 758. Uh, In case you're curious, Gordie Howe is number one at 925. And the former cap, Yaramir Yager, is number two at 841. So Ovechkin, to me, already is a better goal scorer than Gretzky. But however you want to look at things, Alex Ovechkin has been re-signed by the Capitals. You know me with contracts. I'm usually cold-blooded. I'm usually all about the deal from a club perspective and the true value of the player. But this is a special situation because Alex Ovechkin is a very special player. We're not going to be sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions. Yeah! Exactly, Ovi. We will never forget you. Well, the Alex Ovechkin of Area Doctors is Dr. George Verghese. He is the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focuses on medical dermatology and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care, including something very special and cutting-edge, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment 
that safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and a downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. If you or someone you know is dealing with skin cancer, first of all, we hope that you or that someone you know is doing well. But second of all, understand you have options. Find out more by calling Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The phone number is 301-396-3401. Dr. George Verghese is a great guy. He's a big sports fan, and he is excellent at what he does. Make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, so Tuesday was day one of Washington football team training camp, which is taking place in Richmond through this Saturday, July 31st. And we had news on Tuesday. So the news on Monday was, of course, Washington signing Jonathan Allen to a four-year $72 million contract extension. The news of Tuesday was Washington agreeing with Logan Thomas on a contract extension. And the Logan Thomas contract extension news, like the Jonathan Allen contract extension news, great news. Uh, Ron Rivera is identifying his core guys and is locking those guys up via multi-year contract extensions that provide cost certainty. That is the beauty of the contract extension. You know what the cost of the player is going forward. This is how you do it. In a salary cap league, this is what you want. Cost certainty for guys you value. This is how you move along in a rebuild. You figure out what you have. You decide on who you want to keep and who you want out. And then with those whom you want to keep, you move aggressively to keep them. And Washington has moved aggressively to keep guys. Washington did this with Chase Roulier this past January and signing him to a contract extension. Washington now has done this with Jonathan Allen and Logan Thomas. And how about the terms of this Logan Thomas contract extension? A reported three-year, $24 million deal with $10.3 million in guarantees. Until the contract is processed and we can look at the details, we won't know everything But just going off what was reported on Tuesday, how do you not love those terms? A three-year, $24 million contract extension works out to an average annual value, an AAV, of just $8 million. That would rank tied for eighth among NFL tight ends in AAV. But you also have to consider this. Thomas still had a season left on his initial two-year, $6.145 million contract that he signed with Washington in March 2020. Now, does this three-year contract extension kick in this season and override the final season of his initial two-year deal with Washington? Or does this three-year contract extension kick in after the end of this initial two-year deal with Washington? We don't know 
But if the latter is the case, if the three-year contract extension kicks in after the end of this initial two-year deal with Washington, then that $8 million AAV is even better because the salary cap is going to fly to the moon beginning with next season. And so an $8 million AAV is going to look like a spectacular bargain over those three years. Additionally, $10.3 million in guarantees is more than reasonable and suggests that if for some reason Logan Thomas's 2020 season proves to be a fluke and he's just not that good moving forward, Washington can reasonably get out of the extension after two seasons. The 2021 season will be Thomas's age 30 season, so it's not like he's in his mid-20s, but he also doesn't have a ton of NFL mileage on his body. Thomas was taken as a quarterback by the Arizona Cardinals in the fourth round of the 2014 NFL Draft. He, of course, was a quarterback at Virginia Tech. He spent time with the Arizona Cardinals, Miami Dolphins, and New York Giants 2014 to 2016 before making the switch to tight end and signing with the Detroit Lions practice squad in November 2016. The Buffalo Bills signed Thomas to their active roster in November 2016, and he was with them through the 2018 season. Thomas, over the 2017 and 2018 seasons with the Bills, had 19 receptions on 26 targets over 24 games. Thomas signed back with the Lions in March 2019 and in the 2019 season had 16 receptions for 173 yards and a touchdown on 28 targets and playing in all 16 games. Thomas came to Washington having in his career as a tight end totaled just 35 receptions on 54 regular season targets. And then he had his stunningly great 2020 season. Thomas finished the 2020 regular season with 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets over 16 games. He became just the third tight end in Washington history to have a season with at least 70 receptions, at least 650 receiving yards, and at least five receiving touchdowns, joining Jordan Reed in 2015 and Chris Cooley in 2005. Don't forget what Washington's tight ends coach Pete Hayner said about Logan Thomas. Pete Hayner, one of the most respected tight ends coaches in the NFL. He spent nine seasons as Carolina Panthers tight ends coach, 2011 through 2019, worked with Ron Rivera for the entirety of his tenure as Panthers head coach. It was under Hayner's watch that Greg Olson became one of the NFL's best tight ends prior to serving as Panthers tight ends coach. Hayner was the San Francisco 49ers tight ends coach, 2005 through 2010, was instrumental in the development of Vernon Davis. Ron consistently credited Pete Hayner as having been instrumental in Washington signing Thomas in March 2020. Ron wouldn't credit Kyle Smith for much as last season went on, but Ron would credit Pete Hayner for Logan Thomas. Anyway, take a listen to this. Hayner on June 7th on what is the next step for Logan Thomas. Uh, the first thing you look for in any prospect in that position is what I call complete tight end traits. And in Logan, you go, and, and what I mean by that are things like the size, he's 6'6", he was over 250, he ran 4'6 or better uh, coming out of college, he's got 34-inch arms, he's had 11-inch uh, hands, and you saw him on tape have first-step quickness, uh, uh, speed out of his brakes at times. Um, he was just a guy that never got to play much. It didn't fit in wherever he was before. But he certainly had the, the traits that we're looking for for a complete tight end. And, and that in this system, we need a complete tight end. And that's a tight end that not only is a heck of a receiver, but he's a heck of a pass protector. 
being able to block their best defensive end. Uh, he's, he's a heck of a run blocker. Uh, again, with all the different schemes we have of run blocking, he's involved in all of that. So these guys are part old linemen and part receivers, and uh, he can't have fit the bill in all of those in, in looking at him that a guy that, that had a chance maybe to develop. And where, where I see him, uh, I think right now, when I talk about a complete tight end, he, he's got to be in the, in the top five, six, or seven in the league as far as the way he blocks um, his his total attitude as a real pro, his leadership qualities, and then his production uh, as a receiver yeah, obviously is proven now, and I just look for that to keep going up and up. So how about that? Pete Hayner calling Logan Thomas one of the top five, six, or seven complete tight ends in the NFL, and very complimentary of Thomas as a blocker. That's not something that we necessarily had heard a lot of. So very good news on Tuesday morning. Then came the rest of day one of Washington football team training camp. Yeah, so there was no practice on day one of Washington football team training camp. Day one was the day on which players reported and the day on which players took their conditioning tests. Washington late on Tuesday afternoon announced a bunch of roster moves. Washington placed two players on the active slash physically unable to perform list, what's known as the pup list, receiver Curtis Samuel and corner Greg Stroman. So safety Landon Collins, who some thought might be placed on the preseason pup list, was not placed on it. But Curtis Samuel was, and this is notable here. So Samuel is dealing with a groin injury. The groin injury kept him out during minicamp. And now he's out, at least at the beginning of training camp. I mean, this is troubling, okay? Now, I don't want to go nuts over this. The reporting seems to be that the groin injury isn't that bad, but clearly it's bad enough to where he's on preseason pup. The groin injury is severe enough to where he has to begin training camp on the pup list. So not good news, and I don't have to tell you how nagging groin injuries can be and how, especially for speed guys like Samuel, a groin injury is the kind of thing that can linger and that can, you know, pop back up down the line in a season. So let's hope that this thing gets right and does not become a persistent problem for Samuel this year. Also, Washington on Tuesday placed two players on the active non-football illness list. We don't know much about this, but safety DeShazer Everett and defensive tackle Tim Settle were both placed on the active non-football illness list. Washington on Tuesday waived tight end Deion Yelder. Uh, The Washington football team on May 5th announced the signing of Yelder as an unrestricted free agent. So a position group that already wasn't exactly, you know, five miles deep tight end is now even a little more shallow with Yelder having been waived. He spent the last three seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs. And Washington on Tuesday placed offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas on the reserve COVID-19 list. Ah, yes, COVID-19, that thing. The bulk of Ron Rivera's press conference on day one of training camp was him answering questions about Washington's COVID-19 vaccine situation. As the COVID turns, the drama continues for the Washington football team. Where are we with Washington players being vaccinated for COVID-19? The last we heard, per multiple reports, was that Washington was at least at 50% in terms of a player vaccination rate for COVID-19. Here was Ron on Tuesday. Well, we're hopefully trending in the right direction. We've had a few more guys get theirs. Um, I, I believe we're over 50%. 
So we're trending in the right direction. Uh, we're not where we want to be, obviously. Uh, you know, we have a lot of guys that have a lot of questions, unfortunately. Um, they haven't gotten the answers that, uh, you know, that they should have by now. Uh, and we need to do a, uh, a job of trying to make sure we can, can inform them and help them make a, a, an educated decision. All right, so Ron believes that Washington is above 50% in terms of players having been vaccinated for COVID-19. That still is one of the lower player vaccination rates in the NFL as best as we can tell. We've talked about this multiple times, the reported competitive disadvantage that is having a lower player vaccination rate for COVID-19. If you aren't vaccinated for COVID-19 and you're exposed to a COVID-19 positive individual, you're subjected to a mandatory five-day isolation. If you aren't vaccinated for COVID-19, you are banned from nightclubs, bars, house parties, concerts, with the NFL and clubs allowed to issue fines of a game check up to $50,000 for a first offense and more thereafter for violating protocol. The NFL, in a memo, has warned teams of forfeits and loss of game checks for canceled games due to COVID-19 outbreaks among unvaccinated players. The memo said that if a game cannot be rescheduled during the 18-week 2021 regular season, the team with the outbreak will forfeit the game and be credited with a loss. Players on both teams will not be paid for the game, and the team responsible for the canceled game due to unvaccinated players will cover financial losses and be subject to potential discipline from the commissioner's office. Now, I think all of that sounds a little grander than it actually is. The NFL did not cancel a single game last season. Hard to see the NFL, now that we have COVID-19 vaccines, canceling any games this coming season. But that stuff is out there. Ron on Tuesday on the competitive disadvantages of having a low player vaccination rate for COVID-19. Well, where it becomes a really disadvantage, I think, will come in terms of, of preparation. You know, if you've got a guy that's going to miss out uh, on, on, a, on two weeks of work, um, I think when you get into the regular season and you, you, you wake up Saturday morning and, and they come in and tell you that you've got five guys that, that, that can't play on, on, on Sunday and it's your starting group, that's, that, that's going to shake your team up. Uh, we saw what happened, unfortunately, to Denver last year. They had to start a wide receiver at quarterback. Uh, you don't want to be in that situation. We don't want to be in that situation. So it could be a huge, huge disadvantage. Um, and and the hard part too is is you know the thing they got to think about too is you know based on the rules you're, you're risking um, not just your paycheck but other people's paychecks too if there's no game played. So you know I, I think that's that's something that these you know that, that we all have to think about. We also have this, Ron on Tuesday on if he's frustrated by his team being among the worst teams, maybe the worst team in the NFL when it comes to players getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Yeah, I think it's frustrating, you know, especially in the fact that last year we were the number one team against COVID. You know, our, our players took the challenge of, of, of staying, um, you know, inside the bubble, doing the things the right way. And, and, and for the most part, you know, we only had two situations. Both of them were, were guys that were not on the active 53. So it turned out to be a positive for us as far as, um, you know, being COVID free. Uh, and, and now for whatever reason, um, you know, we, we have some reluctance to, 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 to do that, to get the vaccine. And you know, these young men have to make the decisions for themselves. But they, I think hopefully they can understand just how impactful uh, not getting the, the vaccine is, and, and you'd like to believe with all the news that's been out there 
in terms of uh, the fact that people that are being hospitalized that are dying from COVID right now are the those that aren't vaccinated. And Ron makes a good point. Washington did do an excellent job with COVID-19 last season. In fact, did the best job in the NFL. The Washington football team during the 2020 regular season put an NFL low two players on a COVID-19 list, and neither guy was on the team's active roster at the time of his placement. The two players were defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis, who was on the reserve slash injured list, and running back Javon Leak, who was on the practice squad. Washington, remember, brought in an expert this offseason to speak to players about COVID-19 vaccines. We on June 9th learned that Washington had had Dr. Kizmikia Corbett, an immunologist and leading coronavirus vaccine researcher, speak to the team on June 8th. And yet still, a player vaccination rate of COVID-19 of apparently just above 50% for the Washington football team. But of course, you can't nor shouldn't make people get vaccinated for COVID-19. You can't force vaccinations. I mean, I got vaccinated. I've said this. The data and effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccines, at least to me, are clear. These vaccines are safe and these vaccines work. Getting vaccinated is as much about preventing virus mutation as getting vaccinated is about preventing the spread of COVID-19, which for most people, yes, isn't that big of a deal. That is true. And to whatever extent that there are concerns about potential negative side effects with the vaccines, those side effects are extremely rare. And this thing that's out there of, and this is my favorite criticism of the vaccines, well, they don't guarantee that you won't get COVID-19. Yeah, that is true. But that's true of most, if not all vaccines. They don't guarantee that you won't get the ailment. What you want in a vaccine is it to have high effectiveness, a high efficacy rate. The COVID-19 vaccines have very high efficacy rates, 90 plus percent efficacy rates. Those are excellent. Like you really couldn't realistically ask for anything more from a vaccine, a 90 plus percent efficacy rate. Ron on Tuesday on striking a balance between wanting his players to get vaccinated for COVID-19, but also wanting to respect that it is up to each player whether he gets vaccinated for COVID-19. Well, I think the big thing really is, is to have individual conversations, which is what my intent is, to sit on top with each guy individually and, and try and get a feel. And, and, and again, I, I, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. I'm going to try and understand them and, and give them some, some reasons you know, why I think it would be a good thing. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I hope we can get to these guys, get them to understand, really, it's you know, not just for them, but it's for, it's for uh, the people around them. And, and that's the thing that I think hopefully, you know, we'll get their attention is that it's not just about them, but the folks around them. And then there was this more from Ron on his frustration with his team still having a low player vaccination rate for COVID-19. I, I am. I'm, I'm truly frustrated. I, I, I'm, I'm beyond frustrated, you know, uh, and part of it is and the reason I walked in with the mask on is, you know, I'm I'm immune deficient. Okay, so with this new variant, who knows? So when I'm in a group and, and, and the group's not vaccinated or there's a mixture, I put the mask on. Um, and I do that, you know, for health reasons because uh, nobody really knows. And so I'm, you know, I, I, I have to do that. And I just wish and I hope that our guys can understand that. So how about that? Ron admitting that he is in fact immune deficient off his battle with cancer last year, 
and that is personal safety is a concern with the new variant of COVID-19. This is what we've talked about, right? Trying to prevent virus mutation, the danger of the variant and possible other variants. Now, the COVID-19 vaccines do seem to work well with the new variant. But for someone in Ron's predicament, again, immune deficient, who knows how his body would react to getting COVID-19, even with him having been vaccinated for COVID-19. I mean, I tend to think that Ron would be all right. I certainly would like to think that Ron would be all right, but you don't know until you know. So yeah, man, the drama continues. The Washington football team and the lack of players getting vaccinated for COVID-19. And again, you know, I'm sick of COVID-19. We're all sick of COVID-19. I can't wait until the day we no longer have to talk about, think about, hear about, or read about COVID-19. This whole thing should have never happened. This whole thing is a complete debacle. I know so many of you are tired of this thing, but this player vaccination rate stuff does matter because it does impact football. Speaking of football, the quarterback competition. Yeah, you thought we forgot. We'd never forget. The quarterback competition. Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke with, I guess, Kyle Allen lurking somewhere. Uh, Ron, of course, has admitted that not having a quarterback competition at last year's training camp was a mistake. Ron, on Tuesday, got asked if Fitzpatrick is, in fact, going to get all of the first-team reps at training camp. No, uh, the intent is 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 to is to find the best combination of players to put them on the field. You know, we'll make sure everybody gets reps. Uh, we'll make sure that uh, we get a chance to really truly evaluate. You know, based on what happened last year, I made a decision, do what I did, um, and I'm not sure if that was the best decision. You know, I, I wanted to try and get Dwayne as many reps as possible, give him every opportunity to develop uh, within the scheme. I know it was a new scheme, and he really didn't have the type of offseason you would like. But I just thought that would be something that was right uh, for us, and, 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 you know, it didn't work. So this year, you know, it's going to be pretty much normal uh, in terms of competition. All right. So Ron says, quote, we'll make sure everybody gets reps, end quote. That would seem to be saying that it won't just be Ryan Fitzpatrick getting first-team practice reps, but we will see. Actions will speak much louder than words, but Taylor Heineke, to me, should get at least some first-team practice reps. It's fine if Ryan Fitzpatrick begins as Washington's starting quarterback, but he should not just be handed that spot. He should have to earn that spot. He's more than capable of earning that spot, but Taylor Heineke deserves a shot. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Well, there is no such thing as a good day for the Nationals anymore. It just feels like no matter what, every day these days is a bad day for the Nats, even a day on which the Nats win. Oh, they won on Tuesday night, 6-4 victory at the Philadelphia Phillies in Game 2 of a four-game series. The Nats' five-game losing streak is over, but the outcome of the game took a backseat to all of the trade talk. The outcome of the game took a backseat to Trey Turner leaving the game due to testing positive for COVID-19, and the outcome of the game took a backseat to horrendous news regarding Steven Strasburg, and that's where we're going to truly start this segment. Steven Strasburg's season is over, and Steven Strasburg's career may never be the same again, and you could argue that his career is over. Davey Martinez, in his pregame press conference on Tuesday, announced that Strasburg was to undergo season-ending surgery on Wednesday to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, what is known as TOS. If you're a big baseball fan and you follow this stuff, you know what that means. That is essentially the worst-case scenario for a pitcher these days. It used to be that Tommy John was the worst case scenario. That's not the case these days, as most people listening know. Tommy John surgery now is almost routine. I mean, people go through it. Plenty of guys have undergone it multiple times, and pitchers come out of Tommy John surgery just fine. Some guys come out of Tommy John surgery better than before. TOS is something different. TOS is a career ruiner, a career destroyer. When we talk about the downfall of Matt Harvey, the downfall of Matt Harvey was not his Tommy John surgery. He came back from his Tommy John surgery, pitched the New York Mets to a National League pennant in the 2015 season. The downfall for Matt Harvey truly was TOS, thoracic outlet syndrome. You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. I got this tweet on Tuesday night from a neurosurgeon. You see, I love the audience that the Al Galdi podcast cultivates the likes of a neurosurgeon, real smart people, real successful people, big machers, as we like to say on this show. Rich Poland tweeted me saying, thoracic outlet syndrome is up with need for shoulder reconstruction as the worst diagnosis for a pitcher. See Matt Harvey's downfall. It's possible Strauss comes back as a nibbler, but this is a killer. It is. And I'm not a doctor, but my man Rich is. And you don't have to be a doctor to understand the severity of this diagnosis. Steven Strasburg's season is over, but his career is almost certain to never be the same. And his career ultimately may end up being over because of all of this. So there are two very different levels on which you process this news. Number one is the human level. You know, Steven Strasburg at the end of the day is a human being. 
And no, he's, you know, he's not the warmest human being in the history of the planet, okay? He's not uh, exactly Captain Cuddlebug when it comes to DC pro athletes over the years and guys who've really opened themselves up to this city and guys who you really feel like you know and can embrace. But he is a human being. He is a person. Uh, It's never been that like he's a bad person. You know, he just happens to be someone who doesn't love the media and, you know, doesn't love to put himself out there. That's fine. That doesn't make you a bad person. He's an October legend. He's an all-time postseason warrior. 2019 World Series MVP. After Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg has been the best pitcher for the Nationals franchise since it came here for the beginning of the 2005 season. Max Scherzer is the number one pitcher since the Nats came here. Steven Strasburg is number two. And when it comes to the postseason, Steven Strasburg is number one because what he's done in the playoffs is better than what Scherzer has done in the playoffs. And that's not much of a conversation. So I feel for the guy. I feel sympathy for Steven Strasburg. I feel empathy for Steven Strasburg. This has got to be eating him up inside. I wish him nothing but the best from a health standpoint and from a personal standpoint. And I do want to make that clear. But there's also the baseball level on which you feel this. And if you're a Nationals fan, this is nothing short of a baseball calamity. Steven Strasburg needing to undergo surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. This season is Strasburg's age 32 season. It is the second season of a seven-year, $245 million contract to which Strasburg was re-signed in December 2019. If the contract wasn't already the worst contract in major pro sports, the contract now is officially the worst contract in major pro sports. This contract has blown up in the Nationals' faces in a way you could have never anticipated. This contract has been a nightmare, the likes of which even the most extreme of sadists could have never come up with. 2020, year one of the contract, He makes just two starts, undergoes surgery to alleviate carpal tunnel neuritis in his right hand last August 26th in Baltimore. All right, shortened season, COVID-19 pandemic. It's not good that he only made the two regular season starts, but it's something you can deal with. This season, he has made just five regular season starts. He has had two stints on the 10-day injured list. He, during this most recent stint on the 10-day IL, suffered multiple setbacks. And now we think we have found the root cause of all of these health issues over the last few years. Again, thoracic outlet syndrome. Five years remain on this mega money deal, which now is an all-time albatross. And remember, it's not about there being like a salary cap in Major League Baseball. There isn't. The reason it matters when big contracts fail is that teams have budgets. The learners set a budget and factored into that budget is something like this Steven Strasburg contract. So for years moving forward here, the Strasburg contract is something that's going to weigh heavily on these budgets that Mike Rizzo or whoever is running the Nationals is going to have to deal with. Now, I think something interesting to wonder about is, is there insurance on the Steven Strasburg contract? Is it possible that the learners might get some money back out of all of this? Because Strasburg has suffered what has to be considered, right, a career-threatening, career-altering injury. But, of course, just because the learners get back some money doesn't mean that that money gets put back 
into the baseball team, okay? That money just might go right into the learner's bank account. So we'll see. You know, we're not sure how something like this is going to play out, but this is awful news. This is horrendous news. We don't like to spread bad news on this podcast. I like for you to listen to this podcast and feel good about sports, feel good about life. I can't do that with this news. This is really, really bad what came out about Steven Strasburg on Tuesday. And it's the kind of thing that I feel like is going to get overshadowed because there's so much going on right now in D.C. sports with Washington football team training camp, with the Capitals re-signing Alex Ovechkin, with the Nationals getting set to unload come the MLB trade deadline, with Bradley Beal maybe about to ask to be traded. But yeah, man, this Strasburg news is big news. It's huge news. It may be the most significant news of all the things going on right now in Washington, D.C. sports. And it's very sad news. And it's sad on multiple levels. So we had that on Tuesday with the Nationals. And then we had this. So the game is taking place. Again, a 6-4 Nats win at the Phillies on Tuesday night. Trey Turner is the Nats starting shortstop and number two batter. He has a one-out infield single in what ends up being a Nationals three-run first inning. And he then gets pulled from the game in the bottom of the first inning. Now, everyone went crazy when this happened, thinking that, oh, wow, he got pulled from the game because he's about to be traded. No, he got pulled from the game because he tested positive for COVID-19. The Nationals announced this during the game. Trey Turner got pulled from the game due to having tested positive for COVID-19. You can't make this stuff up. A guy whose name has been all over the place with all this trade talk ends up getting yanked from a game in the classic way in which a guy who's about to be traded gets yanked from a game. And instead, it ends up being because he tested positive for COVID-19. Davey Martinez, during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night, said that he found out that Turner had tested positive for COVID-19 right after Josh Bell's home run. Bell hit a one-out, three-run, opposite-field homer with runners at the corners to right field in the top of the first. Davey, after the game, said it was after the Bell homer that Davey found out that Trey Turner had tested positive for COVID-19. I know what you're probably thinking right now. I thought the same thing. Don't these teams get these test results back before games? I think usually that's the case, but clearly that's not always the case. And it wasn't the case with Trey Turner on Tuesday night. We also had this. Davey would not say whether Turner has been vaccinated for COVID-19, but did say that vaccinated players are not being tested for COVID-19 right now. So Davey, in a sly but also transparent way, let it be known that Trey Turner has not been vaccinated for COVID-19. At least that seemed to be the implication here. I mean, we don't know for certain that Trey Turner has not been vaccinated for COVID-19, but that seemed to be what Davey Martinez was implying. Now, let me make a few things clear. Number one, it's not our business whether Trey Turner has been vaccinated for COVID-19. Number two, if Trey Turner has not been vaccinated for COVID-19, I think he, at the very least, is owed the opportunity to explain himself if he wants to explain himself, okay? He doesn't have to explain himself, but I don't want to just do a thing here of, oh my God, how dare he not get vaccinated for COVID-19, okay? I don't want to do a whole vac-shaming segment, all right? There's enough vac-shaming going on right now. I'm not someone who believes in that. I'm not going to do that. I just found it, to be honest with you, comical that Davey said he wouldn't tell us whether Trey Turner had been vaccinated for COVID-19, but then says, yeah, but vaccinated players right now aren't being tested for COVID-19. So, you know, Davey was telling you 
uh, without telling you. So yeah, now Trey Turner has COVID-19. I'm not sure that that impacts him being traded come Friday, if in fact he's going to be traded come Friday. But it is a thing that a team asking about Trey Turner's availability at least has to be wondering about. Oh yeah, that trade deadline, Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. We continue to have trade wins a-blowing when it comes to the Nationals. So regarding Max Scherzer, we had multiple reports that a team trading for Max actually won't owe him any money for the remainder of this regular season. I found that to be interesting. That's insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on Tuesday morning tweeted, quote, the structure of Max Scherzer's contract basically pays him $15 million per year from 2015 to 2028. This year, though, he's making $15 million of his $50 million signing bonus. And people with knowledge of the situation say that this is the Nationals' responsibility no matter what. End quote. So that's notable that if you trade for Max, you're actually not paying Max the rest of this regular season. MLB insider Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic on Tuesday afternoon tweeted, quote, teams pursuing Scherzer believe Nats want to act within next 48 hours to create time to work through his no trade, end quote. Yes, the no trade clause. Remember, Max Scherzer has 10 and 5 rights as a player. We also had some stuff out there regarding Kyle Schwarber. So Kyle Schwarber has been out with injury for weeks, right? The hamstring strain, but he is a free agent to be. I do believe he should be traded. And sure enough, Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on late Tuesday afternoon tweeted that Schwarber is, quote, generating a good amount of interest, end quote, according to a person with knowledge of the Nationals trade deadline discussion. So we had all of that going on on your Nationals Tuesday. We also had Victor Robles get hurt during the game on Tuesday night. Uh, Robles leaving the game while batting in the top of the ninth inning due to tightness in the lower right side of his back. So with the game, with the actual play on the field, uh, the Nats scored all six runs over the first two innings. This game played out like so many other Nationals games so far this year. The Nats looked great offensively early in the game and then did like nothing offensively the rest of the game. The Nats scored six runs over the first two innings, scored no runs the rest of the game, only finished the game with eight hits and two walks. But the six runs over the first two innings were big and did end up being good enough. Juan Soto and Josh Bell, each with a three-run homer on Tuesday night. So we'll start with Soto. He went two for four with a three-run homer and a single. He had a one-out first pitch single in the Nats three-run first, and he had a two-out first pitch three-run homer on a bomb to left center field in the top of the second inning. The homer winner projected 424 feet per stat cast with Soto's seventh homer in 11 games since the All-Star break. For all of the talk for the lack of power by Juan Soto, and the talk was legitimate, the lack of power has gone bye-bye. He is having himself an excellent offensive season. Juan Soto's slash line now for this season, a 295 batting average, a 420 on base percentage, which is just superb, and a 510 slugging percentage. You know, for all the talk of how low the slugging percentage was, and I was certainly on that for weeks, 510 slugging percentage. Juan Soto is very much in position to have a 300, 400, 500 season. 300 batting average, 400 on base, 500 slugging. I mean, right now he's at 295, 420, 510. And then there's Josh Bell, who on Tuesday night went one for three with a three run homer and a walk. 
a one-out, three-run opposite field homer with runners at the corners to right field in the top of the first. And he had a two-out, six-pitch walk in the top of the second inning. Also, Josh Harrison had a couple of hits for the Nats on Tuesday night. He was actually the Nats starting left fielder for the game. Two for four with a double and a single. Had a one-out double in the top of the first. Had a two-out single in the top of the second. Harrison has been really good lately. His on-base percentage for the season up to 360. Not so good for the Nationals in terms of position players on Tuesday night was Carter Keeboom. Keyboom was the Nats starting third baseman and number six batter. Yeah, Davey had Keyboom batting in the sixth spot. Keyboom 0 for 4 with a strikeout, but that's not the half of it. He was a mess defensively in the later innings of the game. So first of all, Keyboom had multiple defensive screw-ups during one guy's plate appearance in the bottom of the eighth. This was something else. D.D. Gregorius was batting for the Phillies. Keyboom whiffed on an attempted backhanded catch of a foul ball off the bat of Gregorius with nobody out. And then Keyboom struggled to get the ball out of his glove on a tailor-made double play grounder off the bat of Gregorius on what ended up being a force-out grounder that should have resulted in a double play. Keyboom took way too long to get the ball out of his glove, did get the ball to second base for the force-out, but that was it on what should have been, again, a double play and then came the low point. Keyboom, an atrocious throwing error to begin the bottom of the ninth inning on a grounder by Gene Segura on a 1-2 pitch. Here you have Brad Hand on the mound of him having blown a save opportunity in each of the previous two games. Hand gets a 1-2 grounder off the bat of Segura, the Phillies' leadoff batter, and Keyboom makes one of the worst throws you'll ever see to first base. Keyboom was a mess in this game defensively. I mean, you can tell this guy is feeling the pressure. This may well be the make or break stint for Keyboom at the major league level in terms of his major league career. I mean, after this stint, however long it lasts, I'm not sure that there's another one coming from the Nats with Keyboom. You know, like it may just be time for Keyboom to go somewhere else because he just has not done anything at the major league level, especially this season. And Keyboom in this game just looked like a guy who has no faith in his abilities right now and he certainly looked like someone who should not be playing. I mean, again, that throwing error in the bottom of the ninth, that was amateur hour. You know, not all throwing errors are created equal. There are throws that are a little bit off for which throwing errors are assigned. And then there are throws that are just, you know, into no man's land. I mean, this throw was like into, you know, section 240 or something from Keyboom. This throw was nowhere close to first base. I mean, it was painful to watch. Uh, Keyboom had all kinds of problems in the field and continues to have problems at the plate. Speaking of having problems, Eric Fetty was not very good in this game on Tuesday night. Nats did win. Fetty gave up four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, two homers, three doubles, and three singles. Did have four strikeouts versus one walk, but he gave up a run in the bottom of the first on a first pitch leadoff single by Gene Segura, and then a one-out full count RBI double by our old pal, the ex-NAD, Bryce Harper. Fetty gave up a run in the bottom of the fourth on a leadoff double by Reese Hoskins, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02, and a two-out RBI double by Oduble Herrera, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. And Fetty gave up two runs in the bottom of the fifth on back-to-back two-out homers, the first of which was a two-out inside-the-park homer by Bryce Harper. Uh, Victor Robles mistimed his jump in trying to catch the fly ball, and Harper, who was running hard, 
ended up making it around to home plate for the inside the park home run. And then Fetty gave up a two-out homer to Andrew McCutcheon. And then Fetty gave up a two-out single to Reese Hoskins in that inning. So I didn't think Fetty was that good. This was his fifth start since being reinstated from the 10-day injured list, which he was on with a left oblique strain. He's been bad in four of the five starts. Eric Fetty for a while was doing so well this season. Remember he had that run of 20 consecutive scoreless innings? Uh, Eric Fetty has not been good since he came off the 10-day IL. And in a lot of ways, he has regressed to being the guy he was prior to this season. And that is just someone who's just not that good. And uh, we're seeing that here, unfortunately, with Eric Fetty in the bulk of his starts since coming off the 10-day IL. What was good from a pitching standpoint for the Nats on Tuesday night was the bullpen. For the first time in what felt like was a long time, the Nationals' bullpen was really good. Four Nats relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings. Sam Clay faced three batters, got two outs. Wander Suero tossed one and two-thirds perfect innings with two strikeouts. Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Now, it wasn't easy. He issued two walks. He threw 25 pitches, but ultimately a scoreless bottom of the eighth. And Brad Hand tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth, despite the key boom throwing error, despite facing the Phillies numbers one through four batters, and despite having blown a save opportunity in each of the previous two games. So it wasn't necessarily smooth sailing, but the bullpen did get the job done. Clay Suero, Finnegan, and Hand combining for four and a third scoreless innings. Game three at the Phillies Wednesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin versus Zach Wheeler. We will see what Corbin ends up doing. He's been so bad this season. 19 starts, ERA of 571, whip of 145. But with the Strasburg news, now would be a lovely time for Patrick Corbin to get back on track. Not so much for this season, okay? This season is essentially done at this point. But for future seasons, you got three years left on the Corbin contract. Is he going to deliver on this thing? Or is this just who he is now? A guy with an ERA of over four, or in the case of this season, over five, okay? Because Patrick Corbin, in theory, should be able to shoulder some of the load here with Steven Strasburg dealing with what he's dealing with. And Corbin has done the opposite. He has added to the load over these last two seasons. Is Corbin ever going to get back to being the guy who we saw in 2019? Obviously, Wednesday night is not going to completely answer that question, but it's something to be thinking about with the Nationals, not just for Wednesday night, but moving forward. All right, guys, if you love listening to me on the Al Galdi podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about D.C. area sports, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. 
Let's talk some Orioles. Uh, they off their shocking three-game sweep of the Nationals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend. We're back to losing on Tuesday night. A 7-3 loss to the Miami Marlins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in game one of a two-game series. O's now an American League worst 34-65 and on the season. Bad start for Spencer Watkins, who was bad for the first time in four starts. Spencer Watkins had been kind of a cool story here for the O's recently. So the O's on June 30th selected the contract of Watkins from AAA Norfolk. He was taken by the Detroit Tigers in the 30th round of the 2014 MLB draft. He made his major league debut in a relief appearance for the O's on July 2nd, and he had been good over three starts for the Orioles since that MLB debut on July 2nd, but he was bad in the start number four on Tuesday night. Four runs in four innings. He gave up nine hits, a homer, and eight singles. He issued a walk. He had just one strikeout, top of the second, gave up a two-out, three-run homer to ex-national Sandy Leon, uh, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. The homer, by the way, was a bomb uh, that landed on Utah Street. So perhaps the carriage is turning back into a pumpkin for old Spencer Watkins. Uh, the Orioles' big bats did deliver in this game. Cedric Mullins had a leadoff homer in the bottom of the sixth and a first pitch leadoff single in the bottom of the eighth. Austin Hayes had a leadoff homer on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the fourth. And Trey Mancini had two doubles. And speaking of Trey Mancini, speaking of Boom Boom, so we have the MLB trade deadline Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Will the Orioles sell and sell hard as the rebuild continues? And will Trey Mancini be a part of the sell-off? Are we seeing the final games for Trey Mancini as an Oriole? Orioles insider Dan Conley of the Athletic Baltimore reporting that Mancini and four Orioles relievers are drawing trade interest. Those relievers, Paul Fry, Tanner Scott, Cole Solcer, and Dylan Tate, the markets for Anthony Santander and Matt Harvey do appear cold, according to Conley. So the notion that I raised on Monday's installment of the podcast that, hey, as bad as Matt Harvey has been at times this season, the fact that each of his last two starts has seen him toss six scoreless innings, maybe just maybe the trade possibilities for Matt Harvey have been rekindled, according to Dan Conley, a cool market for Matt Harvey, at least right now when it comes to that MLB trade deadline. But no doubt with some of these relievers, I mean, you should be able to make deals, especially with someone like Paul Fry. And with Trey Mancini, I mean, here's the bottom line, okay? Trey Mancini's a great guy. It's a tremendous story. Missed all of the 2020 season due to colon cancer. Has had a very good 2021 season. Made it to the final round of the Home Run Derby. Is a fan favorite. I mean, nobody has anything bad to say about Trey Mancini, the guy. But he is in his age 29 season. By the time the Orioles get good again, he'll be well into his 30s, and he's due to be a free agent after next season, after the 2022 season. It does not make sense to not trade Trey Mancini, if not this week prior to the trade deadline, then certainly this offseason. So I'm not going to yell and scream that the Orioles have to trade Trey Mancini this week, but to me, they do need to deal him this offseason if they don't deal him this week. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to hold on to the guy here. I mean, what are you going to do? Resign him after the 2022 season? You can't take that chance, him leaving you for nothing after the 2022 season. And, you know, the idea of giving him an extension prior to him hitting free agency, I mean, look, if he's open to it, then that changes the conversation. But I don't know that a guy like this is going to be open to it because he could probably do quite well on the open market. So yeah, I do think we could be seeing the final games for Trey Mancini as an Oriole, but we don't necessarily have to be. Like I said, you could deal him 
come the offseason. Game two against the Marlins at Camden Yards Wednesday night at 7.05. Jorge Lopez will start for the O's. Remember, Lopez was among the surprising Orioles starters in that three-game sweep of the Nats at Camden Yards over the weekend. Yet Jorge Lopez doing well in game one. Matt Harvey doing well in game two. But Lopez doing well in the Orioles 6-1 win over the Nats at Camden Yards on Friday night. One run in four and two-thirds innings. Lopez came into the game with an ERA of 6.04 over 19 starts on the season, and yet he did quite well against that Nats lineup this past Friday night. So we'll see how he does against a weak-hitting team in the Marlins on Wednesday night. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday's show, episode 111, will feature all you need know from day two of Washington football team training camp. We'll see what the latest chaos is with the Nationals as they prepare to trade away players or perhaps are already underway in trading away players. We'll see what the Capitals may have done on day one of NHL free agency on Wednesday. And we'll see what Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard had to say. He is due to speak to reporters on Wednesday afternoon as we approach Thursday night's NBA draft. The Wizards have the 15th overall pick, but the item with the Wizards that matters the most right now is will Bradley Beal ask to be traded? There's a lot of trade and contract talk in DC sports these days. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll talk to you on Thursday. We're not going to be sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions. Yeah! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.